to the Earthborn Games Podcast. I'm your host, Anders Carlson, and joining me is the staff of Earthborn Games. Uh, I'm excited to welcome back Andrew Fisher. We've missed you here. It's great to see your, your face. How have you been? Yeah, uh, I've been good. I was uh, in Colorado um, during the recording of the last one. I could have joined, but I only had my like terrible in-headphone uh, Mike and so no, nobody was going to want to oh. listen. So well, it was a good well, opportunity you, for all of you to talk art anyway. You know, you wouldn't have been the only person with a uh, a microphone like that. Um, but <laughs> uh, but we're glad to have you back now. Um, and we're also joined with by uh, Evan Sibonet. Hey, hey. <laughs> how's it going? It's going good. Tell me something. Oh, I, I was here last week and uh, <laughs> spent a lot of time talking True about facts. things that people couldn't see. <laughs> I know. And we should like plan out what our banter is going to be during this segment. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that's what they do on uh, real talk shows, but it's good to see you, friend. Yeah. And we're also joined, we're joined by Andrew Navarro. Good to see you, Hello. too. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Anders. I always How's kind it of, it's going okay. I always get a little bit nervous about this every every week because like i was just telling you guys like being a a host is not my natural demeanor but once we start doing it it just starts flowing because you guys are fun to talk to yeah. oh i think you do a great game. job yeah well exactly thanks man <laughs> and so that's the thing about life you know like sometimes you're you may be good at something but internally you're uh you're suffering <laughs> <laughs> I think I it's always I, hard I, I, to acknowledge what you're good at yeah <laughs> to yourself should we go around and talk about what that is for each one of us? <laughs> I, I got one. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Um, so one of my favorite snacks is uh, cheese and crackers, which I had today. And mm-hmm. doesn't matter how many slices of cheese I cut, I reach my hand into the crackers, grab a handful, and it's always the exact amount. Oh. You know. Yep. <laughs> really? Yep. I mean, not that's always, a, but pretty that's close. That's amazing. Yeah. That's your hidden talent. Yep. Most mundane superpower <laughs> i mean it might work for other things i don't know what kind of cheese what kind of crackers i guess a, uh what was it some today? big some big block of cheese from costco <laughs> uh i mean i didn't i didn't have a whole bunch of it but you know that's my memory enough. of you going to your house one time and you served up a big block of cheese <laughs> do you just always have a huge block of cheese no. on hand no i don't i promise <laughs> that also reminded me of I have this distinct memory. Do you have this thing? Um like whenever I eat chips and salsa, I think of you. Me? Because I remember in college you telling me that you just eat chips and salsa for lunch. <laughs> and that's all you you're, <laughs> you're kind of like you're kind of like commiser you're kind of like, you know I was saying it painfully. Yeah, like oh it's man, I eat. should I should eat better. I just eat just stand by the counter and eat chips and salsa every day for lunch. <laughs> It sounds like me. So I guess it's it's more when I'm doing that myself, where I'm, I'm eating <laughs> chips and salsa at the counter in lieu of a, a real lunch. I'm, I always think of you. So. I'm glad well, I'm there with you in spirit somehow. So <laughs> we'll always have that. Okay. Anyone? Any other talents here, so we can get off the to- topic of my diet? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't answer you my question. Yeah. What kind what of crackers? crackers? Yeah. Townhouse oh, doesn't matter. Yeah. The, nice. You know the. Ritz? Yeah. No, actually not Ritz. Um, are you embarrassed of what they are? I'm just like kind of embarrassed that this is take- going on for so long um, <laughs> that I'm blanking out. 
<laughs> Saltines? No. There's only so many. Definitely crackers. not. Wasa? <laughs> no, those rectangular ones. Uh, maybe it's club. Rye crisps? Rye crisps? Oh. Is club. That, yeah. They're kind of yellowish and yep. rectangular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are good. Those are some of the best. <laughs> and now, Evan, like... you're, you're embarrassed this is going on too long. But we're going to clear the schedule. This episode is now all about your diet. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, then at least I'll feel like I'm contributing to this episode. Because <laughs> right. I had some uh, insecurity about not being able to contribute very much today, but I'm okay, glad I'm yeah. able to. Yeah, done. So you can just take a nap for the rest cool. of the episode. You're Back. Up. So what is your favorite? Color. What is your favorite cracker? I, I don't know. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am intrigued though as to why you're so embarrassed about talking about uh, cheese and crackers. I'm just embarrassed that that weird talent came to me so quickly to share with you all. I like, think what it's an, amazing. What a what a boring thing to talk about. And I, I just right great. away started talking about it. Please, That's everybody. I wish I could do that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think How much I time think... I'd save reaching my hand to that bag of crackers. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm almost always wrong. I usually I usually have more crackers out than cheese. Mm. Oh, and I yeah. end up cutting more cheese, which mm-hmm. is not bad. And then <laughs> no. uh, just you know just keep going until like yeah you the get cheese is you gone. get the infinite cycle right uh-huh. like mm-hmm. yeah you need more cheese you need more crackers you need more cheese uh-huh. yeah so, so evan this is not this me. is saving your health yeah really that's right <laughs> in the comments if you're still listening um let us <laughs> let us know if you're uh, if you find evan's cheese and cracker story to be entertaining because i think it's some of the best content we've ever had <laughs> yep <laughs> Anyway, let's get to our first segment, which I like to call Listener Questions Slash Comments. That's a great catchy name. name. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't write that. I have to give credit to Andrew Navarro on that one. Um, I should come up if you're going to read, like, I always thought of those as, as our, like, internal names. Oh, I know. If, uh, we, should, we should come up with some fancier, uh, more entertaining titles for the segments. We should. And it's, it's very yeah. much like me to... To just say them <laughs> as though they're meant to be our titles <laughs> and embarrass you. Um, okay. Our first question comes from Discord, which apparently is a way to get a hold of us. Can anyone join the Discord? Or is there any special invitation? I think it's public. Join the, our di- the Earthborn Rangers uh, fan Discord. I don't think you need an invite to that. Is that correct, Fisher? Am I right? I... Um... I, I I actually don't know what the best way to join our fan Discord is. I should look that up. It, it was mostly it was created by the community during the Kickstarter, and so we do not run it ourselves. So um, I don't know what the best way to, to join is. Um, it, 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 Discord people, uh, mm-hmm. I know uh, several of you are listening. If if you would uh, be so kind as to jump into like the YouTube comments or comments on whatever you're listening. To and uh, let people know what the best mm-hmm. way is to join the fan Discord and talk about the game. Uh, that would be great. I, so check out the comments for hopefully the answer <laughs> from other <laughs> listeners. And hell, <laughs> heck, I might even uh, put it in the show notes. So look there as well. Um, anyway, our first question comes from Iron Bryce on Discord. Iron Bryce asks, "How do you feel about Kickstarter as a sustainable platform to back games, especially in light?" of their recent controversial decision to migrate to blockchain. Will future Earthborn titles be considering alternate platforms like GameFound to make sure your funding campaign isn't inadvertently contributing to carbon emissions? 
Hmm. Yeah, so I thought that was a pretty good question. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was Great. pretty recent. It was in the last couple of months that Kickstarter announced they were doing that. And uh, I remember Fisher sent that article to me. I was like, oh, that's not great. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I think I need to look more into, you know, what the actual, you know, environmental impact of, you know, blockchain is. I think, you know, the general consensus is it's it's bad because it, you know, uses up a lot of computing power and, um, you know, just uses up a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. But I, I really don't know any facts about it really at all <laughs> it's just really all i've all i've heard is that that general steam do you guys know any any more factual information about the true impact of uh, blockchain technology on the environment i mean hard numbers is a little hard to come by but um you know it, it it's estimated that um proof of work based uh blockchain technology is currently contributing uh, contrib- using about the equivalent power of a small country um, every year. Um, It's pretty significant. Um, And so, you know, basically almost all blockchain technology right now is using this kind of proof of work model. And so is kind of equally detrimental. Um, That being said, like, you know, Kickstarter has um, stated their plans to potentially move to, to move to some kind of blockchain um, based technology, stated and restated their plans. Um, that being said, there has been some turnover in leadership and stuff. And so it's a little unclear what exactly that future is, because right now it's this all kind of speculative stuff with the company. So it's 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 really hard to say, but obviously like it's, you know, considering our focus as a s- sustainable studio, trying to make games as sustainably as possible, it, it is really concerning to us. Um, yeah well, for, for I, use in the platform in the future i think it, you know even without that though you know there's still uh a subsidiary of amazon so you know mm-hmm. that i mean <laughs> and mm-hmm. amazon isn't great for other reasons you know depending right. upon uh your your views of amazon so uh I, I don't know i think you could make the argument that it probably wasn't great to begin with but this certainly doesn't help um mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as going to a different platform, I think it's it's definitely possible. I mean, we'll see uh, when the time comes. Um, I did consider GameFound at first uh, for Earthborn Rangers, but it didn't feel like a good fit. But they recently announced that they've moved to from a curated platform where you had to work with uh, Awaken Realms uh, on your project if you brought it to GameFound. Uh, mm-hmm. They've now made it public, so you can just go there and they can approve your your project and then move forward without them having to you know have their fingers in it so uh so that's definitely appealing um i've heard still not great things about their uh their pledge manager and the way that they handle taxes like vat and stuff um, on the back end that um might dissuade me just because it's easier uh on other in other places a little bit more automated mm-hmm. uh so we'll see but uh, yeah when the, when that time comes uh in the in the future we'll evaluate our uh our options and, and then see see where we land fantastic thanks again for your question iron bryce it's a great one and next we have maybe the king of all questions is a <laughs> multi yeah, multiple questions. <laughs> multiple multi-part questions, but they're all excellent questions from someone named Ro, R H O. And they got a hold of us via email, Earthborn Games, 
uh, at something.com. <laughs> Info at earthburngames.com. <laughs> Info, Info at earthburngames.com, sorry. Um, do we want to answer this bit by bit? Or should I ask the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you uh, cue me up with each bullet point? We'll, we'll okay. talk about each bullet. So, so don't don't read my notes under each one. Just read the question <laughs> in the show notes. Who do you think I am? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> just answer the question. Okay. No, it was that was that was a that was a yeah. I understand why you would tell me that. Anyway, first bullet point: How is the open world traveling handled in your game, Earthborn Rangers? Yeah, I think this is a good question. This is like at the core of the pitch of I think what makes uh, Rangers so cool. Um, I my 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 kind of first uh, little note answer beneath this this question in our show notes is well, the open world travel kind of is the game. It is kind of like what you're doing. The, the core loop of the game is is traveling around this this open world. So. Um, for 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 lists, the, the the several listeners who might not uh, know uh, might not have played the game during when our demo was available in Kickstarter, um, the core of the game is kind of playing uh, this card game in front of you, where you are kind of like trying to overcome different challenges in your way, dealing with creatures you come across as you hike through the valley. Um, but then, as uh, you kind of overcome these various challenges, you can add progress to your current location, and when you progress through your current location far enough you get to move to a new location on an open world map um for for those of you on on, on youtube you can see our our, our latest version of the our, our, our open <laughs> world map but it's a kind of a trail map with all the locations connected together um and so then you kind of choose a new location to travel to and then you kind of start playing the card game at that location and so you're kind of playing through these different locations once you complete them you choose the next location um and and travel on so uh, there is kind of this like travel moment as you kind of walk along the path to the next location the game only kind of cares about these points these locations but the gameplay kind of abstractly represents everything you're coming across along that way so while you may have this travel moment where you go across this line on the map um the the, the gameplay kind of represents anything that might happen along that way. So, so it is the open world travel. So once you, you land on a, a, a spot on the map, there will be a different set of cards that you will be interacting with. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. We, you actually build a little custom deck for each location you land at. Um, the cards you pull from are a combination of the type of terrain you're hiking along, as well as any unique landmarks uh, for that location as well. So there's some things you'll see over and over again as you hike through like wooded areas, you're going to see kind of the same like types of wildlife and um, different challenges kind of related to a wooded area or like a river if you're along a river or a lakeshore. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll see some of the same things again, but you'll also see unique locations, cards specific. So like a, a specific character who might only live in one part of the valley. Awesome. I want to ask more like detailed questions about what that looks like on the table. But Go I think for that, it. So, so you have the cards that, that are associated with a certain location. How, how is that laid out just on the table? You know, is there like different stacks of cards that on, on the, on the back of the card, it's colored differently or something or. 
Uh, no, actually, so they're all the same. Um, we, we we should we should have you play at some point, Anders. That'd, that'd yeah, yeah, we can <laughs> we can we can lose this like you know the what do you, what would you call me the the idiot? I don't know. <laughs> outside <laughs> observer, yeah. No. Yeah. the outside observer, uh, yeah, yeah. outside observer, yeah, that doesn't know anything yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should play. Um, but yeah, the, to your question about what do the cards look like, how is this organized, um, we try to keep this as kind of simple as possible. So in the game, um, this is all kind of distilled into this uh, mechanism called the path deck. So basically all these different cards all have the same back and are shuffled together into a singular deck. Oop, my map's going all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then you kind of, as you hike, as, as you hike through your location and explore your current location, you'll be drawing more and more cards from this path deck. And it kind of represents you coming across various things. And so you might know for certain that like um, the person you want to talk to lives at this location, but you're not exactly sure where they are today. You know, this is a big, you know, they, you might be at uh, White Sky, a town built out onto this lake, but you know, it, it's a decently sized town. There's lots of buildings. There's a lot of surrounding area. And you might, you might be looking for Artel the fisherman. Uh, the fisher folk and and you don't know where they are currently so it might take mm. you a little while to kind of track down artel as you go through this deck so you know artel's mm. in there but you don't know exactly where they are yet mm. and then that once you draw really them cool. they'll kind of come into play and, and represent you interacting with them talking to them or dealing with them if they're a predator uh uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. In the case of a creature, Artel is a very nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I always imagine the characters like Artel just joining you on the path and traveling with you a short ways or something. Mm -hmm. And that's how my head canon played out. Uh huh. I can't wait. Well, to you can totally Artel. do that. Yeah, as soon <laughs> like that that is an option. So you know, when you meet Artel, uh, they're busy doing their own thing, but then you have the opportunity to bring them along with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that's true. Yeah, yeah. And they can actually come with you to even new locations if you agree to kind of help them and they accompany you for a little while. You could even just agree to help and then take them wherever you want. Mm. <laughs> Ultimately. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, I, I thought we were going to Golden Shore, everybody. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, <shortcut. no. laughs> so many possibilities. I can't wait to play the game someday when it comes out. Um sooner if you guys let me um <laughs> next question from ro next bullet point can we build infrastructure that lets us kind of quick travel if needed the grasshopper legged glider you guys mentioned sounded a lot like that yeah so uh um we don't necessarily have like a fast travel infrastructure like you uh might see you know, in a video game, say like Elden Ring is, is is one of the the topical examples where you have like your sites of grace and you can just teleport to any of them. So we don't have like a fast travel network in that sense. Um, but we do have a lot of different tools throughout the valley for getting around faster. But we try to kind of couch them all in kind of the theme of the valley and uh, the theme of everything you're coming across. So uh, uh, yeah, the swift, the, the glider, the grasshopper-like glider you mentioned. Uh, perfect example. Uh, if you go to Lone Tree, one of the things you can come across at Lone Tree is the Swift parked there at, on topside mast. It's like at the top of Lone Tree. And then you can, uh, uh, if you convince them to let you use the Swift, you can board it and you get uh, to move a, a several extra locations than you would normally move. So it's not like a free trip anywhere in the valley. I, I believe it did work like that in the vertical slice for those of you who played the demo. But uh, in the final version, you only get to hop several locations away, but it's still a pretty useful tool for getting around. 
You can also come across the swift uh, Benamon, one of the uh, other rangers, is piloting around the valley. And so you can come uh, upon it, uh, upon Ben piloting this thing around and convince him to let you board it. So you can get a little fast travel there. And then also there's uh, this network of kind of high-tech zip lines called the spider lines. And these aren't everywhere, but uh, they're scattered throughout the valley and especially in mountainous locations. And so if you come across those, those can kind of give you an extra boost and you can use them to traverse further than you would. Uh, Finally, uh, the last kind of tool at your disposal is there are some uh, rare ranger cards that let you kind of boost your travels. So I believe it's the Traveler or Explorer. I, I should look at which set that's in. But one of our <laughs> sets uh, has a hidden trail card that you can run in your deck and actually put into play and then progress to kind of represent you knowing a secret path that other people might not know. And that allows you to take your group extra locations when you travel. And so even through your deck, you can get a little bit of faster travel built in that way. So through that, through all of these combine to give you different tools to get around faster if you need, but you kind of have to uh, be creative and adapt to your given situation. It's not going to be as simple as just unlocking the new fast travel node and teleporting around the valley. Everybody wants quick travel. And I'm glad yeah. you're providing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that you know that question um, that it, he asked it in in relation to uh, uh, Tainted Grail, um, and I didn't mm-hmm. really know mm-hmm. enough about how Tainted Grail's you know open world travel system worked uh, to really speak to it. But I got the impression that the open world travel in that was uh, kind of a separate system that sat outside of the rest of the game. So basically, again, this is just based on the context of the email, so I could be totally off base. Uh, But based on that, it sounded like it was something you did in between the game. Like you wanted to get to the game and you need to go through this this open world travel system to get there. And, you know, Mm -hmm. to your point, like that's that that is the game. So I feel like you can there's definitely a lot you can do like you were saying uh to move around faster but just jumping from one location to another location you know just zipping around the map teleporting uh it kind of i think ultimately you know maybe ruins the experience a little bit yeah so we, we don't want we don't want it to be where you can actually go anywhere at any time magically <laughs> yeah yeah i like that next bullet point we're going to have random encounters along the way. I understood that there will be encounters when exploring, but is that also happening while traveling? Yeah, I, and this kind of plays to what Andrew just said about uh, a lot of other games kind of representing open world travel versus the game itself and kind of this modal play where you have kind of like zoomed in version and then you have the open world kind of like a Final Fantasy game or something like that. Um, and as we talked about earlier, our open world travel is a lot more integrated. It is the game. So uh, I could argue that maybe a lot of our game is the random encounters. <laughs> you know, you are traveling to a new location and having encounters when you arrive at this location, but there isn't kind of this overworld step. So on our trail map, when you travel, if you're at a given location and then you uh, complete it and you travel to the new one and set up the game here, you're not going to have any kind of random encounters that interrupt play. 
Instead, everything that you see on the board while you're at a location, as I said earlier, is kind of this abstraction of both your trip there and your exploration of that location. They're kind of conflated together into a single singular system. So you're not going to be like interrupting play, having some kind of narrative thing happen along the trail, and then setting up play again. Instead, you're just going to tear down your old location, travel, maybe read a little bit um, about your group as they arrive at this new location, if there's any unique events, and then you'll set up that new location. So I guess the answer to random encounters is kind of no, uh, but our whole game is random encounters as you're hiking. So in a way, uh, also, yes. (laughs) (laughs) There are also some fixed encounters too, like to your point about, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have story beats and missions, uh, kind of lift encounters up for you when you arrive places or put cards into play. But yeah, most of, almost all of that interaction with the world is done through, uh, through the basic, uh, basic mechanisms of card play. And a follow-up question. Are these encounters going to be meaningful? <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I mean, so, so yeah, I think Roe asks if yes, if, the, if, if yes, there are random encounters, are they going to be meaningful? And then, since the answer is uh, kind of no, there's not random encounters, I'd considered just striking this question. But uh, uh, I thought it was an interesting opportunity to talk about what meaning is in games, right? Like, um, I, I think we all know kind of what Roe is asking. If, if Roe asks, are these random encounters going to be meaningful, right? Is there some kind of reward that goes beyond them to the rest of the game? Uh, you know, like that might be, you know, do I get experience points or does, are there consequences from these random encounters or something like that? So we don't have these random encounters necessarily, but I kind of wanted to talk about what is or is not meaningful in our game. Because uh, it was something I was thinking a bit about and I thought was kind of interesting. So as I mentioned earlier, our game has kind of two types of cards, uh, our, our path cards, the cards you kind of come across in the world are either cards that come from the terrain pods. So these can, uh, the terrain sets. So these can be things like animals and plants and the different features and obstacles that come in your way. Uh, and then there can also be these landmark cards, which are path cards just like them, but these represent the the unique people in places that are unique to different areas. And so when you kind of look at them that way, you could see, oh, the landmarks are the meaningful cards. These are the story cards. These are the characters. These are the ones with journal entries. These are meaningful. And then all of the terrain cards aren't meaningful. They're chaff that's in my way of getting to the meaningful content, which is these landmarks. I have to play th- I have to play through... 20 different Sitka bucks just to go find the ranger I need to talk to. You know, these Sitka bucks aren't meaningful. This ranger I need to talk to is meaningful. But one thing I've kind of observed is uh, people are enjoying kind of our story. So I don't want to downplay our story, but most of the stories I hear from people when when they're done with the game aren't about the scripted moments but are about the unscripted moments. And these often come, these almost exclusively come from our terrain cards. So the stories I hear from people are about what happens, how the terrain pod interacts in some weird emergent way that created this thematic moment that required them to tear off their poncho and throw it on the razor wire to save uh, their, you know, to, to, to save their friend or something. And that all comes from these kind of 
not as meaningful if you're looking at them in a vacuum cards, all of the terrain cards. So I think meaning can be very context dependent and subjective. Uh, the, the really meaningful content of the game might be just our landmark cards and just the story to some players. But a lot of the truly great moments that come from our game are from that other content. So anyway, it, it's slight yeah. uh, aside, but I, I thought it was in interesting to talk oh, that, about. No, that was fantastic. Getting into some game theory stuff. I love it. Andrew, did you want to add, add something? Yeah, I was, gonna say, I was just going to say I totally agree. I, the things that are memorable to me are all of those emergent moments uh, where I'm trying to do a thing and then some unexpected creature shows up and does something that I that throws that all that off. And the way that the cards interact with each other, uh, you can really visualize uh, what's happening uh, mm -hmm. in your imagination. And uh, it, it creates memories, and that's awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's it's pretty special when a game can do that, and I think this game does does that quite a bit. Uh, sometimes it's it's perfect. I, I, had, a, I had a moment uh, playtesting this weekend, which uh, I talked a little bit about on the Team Covenant stream on Monday, but I just finished this major uh, this major plot moment where you know I got some news, you know things are happening. I have to, you know, go across, make this big trek up across the valley from where I was, uh, to let everyone know what's going on. And I made the decision to go from the location I was at into the swamp. And as soon as I did that, I was like, Oh no, <laughs> this is the, I made, I made the wrong decision. I shouldn't have gone right. I should have gone up, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I had made my choice. I was like, all right, let's do it. So I was looking at this like multi-location multi-path trek uh up to where i needed to go and uh, i was thinking man it's going to take me a couple of a uh, couple of sessions to get up there but then as soon as i arrived at my location uh i ended up top decking binamon which was the the uh, the person you were just talking about fisher who pilots the swift and the odds of that happening are not <laughs> very good because he's in the valley pod so that's all randomized and you put those into location you shuffle them and then i got him you know, straight thing off the top of the deck and uh he shows up and and he's like hey can i <laughs> you look like you're in trouble can i you know, help you out and i was like yes please please let me get on your on your uh on the swift and and, and get out of here so that was awesome so uh totally unscripted moment but it ended up playing into the story uh perfectly <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, it was, it was great. And I'll, I will remember that moment. It was very, very cool. Couldn't have scripted it better. <laughs> mm, very cool. Benamon shows up and says, looks like I'm late to the party. Yeah. And like throws a cigar <laughs> down, <laughs> fires up the engine. Uh -huh, exactly. <laughs> it was perfect. Once again, proving that you should be a writer on the game, Evan. The, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> flavor text right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for those questions, Ro. There's also one other other last question from, from them. And Andrew's going to take this one. And Ro says, I love it very much that this is a campaign game where people can just drop in and out as they please. On a side note, will such a thing be possible in Earth Earthborn Rangers? Or will a player that skips, let's say, two sessions have problems keeping up with the players that did not skip? 
Uh, yeah, this, that's a that's a great question, and uh, I've actually had experience with that last uh, last couple of weeks. I brought in friends uh, to join me on my campaign, uh, just to play for a session or two, uh, so they can try out the game. And uh, it worked it worked really great. It when someone comes and joins your game, they simply make a ranger using the the ranger creation, the deck building rules. Uh, which goes, you know, very, very quickly, especially if uh, you have an experienced person there to to help them out. Uh, and then they can jump right in. Our game uh, scales, everything scales to the number of players. So bringing someone in at any time, it doesn't, doesn't harm anything. And as far as someone, you know, being behind, if they come in and out or, you know, show up late, uh, we don't have a per player experience system or anything like that. So you're never really going to be behind when you come in and, uh, and and just join in the middle of a game. All of our rewards go into a communal, you know, party reward section where all the all the cards that you've unlocked just kind of sit there, and anyone in your group can use them, and you can swap them out whenever you camp. And uh, since I had unlocked a lot of cards by the time my friends had joined, uh, there were a few reward cards that I just wasn't even using. So. Uh, they were able to use those also when they built their deck. And uh, yeah, that was really cool. I think the only downside to it is um, if you don't have uh, the Ranger card doubler, which is the, essentially this is a product that that gives you all of the Ranger cards in the core set again, so you can have another set of them. Um, if you don't have that product, then when people come on board, they'll they might find that some of the cards that they want have been picked over by you, <laughs> or in this case by me, because mm-hmm. um, there's lots of ways to add cards to your deck uh, throughout the course of play, and uh, there's also part of deck building is you get to choose one card from any other set in the game as your outside interest, and uh, in both cases. Um, uh, my friends chose uh, the same background and specializations. They chose artisan and artificer. And when I went and like set out all the artificer cards for them, I was like, wait, I feel like I'm missing a card here. Like, what, where is that card? I'm like, oh yeah, it's in my deck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep it. Um, and uh, here you can have this other card instead. <laughs> but if you had the card doubler, you wouldn't run into that problem. <laughs> mm. But it's a very corner corner uh, situation. So, um, but yeah, that's 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 my sales pitch for the for the card doubler. If you're on the fence, yeah, we should we should note that uh, as we told everybody during the Kickstarter, it is still possible to build up to four player decks all just from the core set alone. But each player subsequent player deck you build will have fewer and fewer options until the fourth deck will basically have to choose be shoehorned into a back the background and special specialty that haven't been chosen yet correct so it is still possible to build all four decks but for those people who are jumping in it is kind of nice to have more options if possible so that fourth player is like the ranger who always gets picked last for kickball or something <laughs> sadly <laughs> <laughs> they're all all stars evan every <laughs> background and specialization <laughs> in the course set you're our fourth ranger. You're playing the forager. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I feel like uh, I love the in forager. our stats. Yeah, I was gonna say in, in our stats for who's played what uh, during our playtesting, we've actually gotten pretty good coverage. There's no like super forgotten background or specialty. I, I chose mm. forager. I think forager is probably the least played background at the moment. Mm. 
but our specialties are pretty even split actually hmm. cool yeah i played with forager a bit it's it's good it you know it when you say hey do you want to be able to do cool stuff with plants maybe the sales pitch isn't uh, as enga- mm-hmm. is, uh, enticing as it could be but it is very useful very what useful are the o- other options again for the other three or is it three others how many more Yep, there's three others. Yeah, three there's others. Uh, it's, it's Forager, Artisan, Traveler, and Shepherd. Hmm. Yeah, I can see why Forager may may turn you know those kind of people off because <laughs> it sounds boring. <laughs> but <laughs> not, not to not I, I said I shouldn't say that. That's I don't really believe that. It's uh, oh. you know foraging is actually pretty cool in, in real life. Heck uh, yeah, it is. Being able Mush- to go outside and find food for yourself Mush- pretty mushroom- useful skill. Yeah, mushroom hunting is a great hobby of mine. Is it? it. Yeah, morels. Nice. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I think our other three backgrounds have a lot more of an explicit pairing. Each of them clearly supports certain play styles. The forager is a bit weirder because it focuses around plants and kind of enabling interesting combos off of these plants. And so it, it isn't as immediately obvious how it synergizes with the rest of the card pool but it actually has some pretty potent combos once you get it going you can like search up plants and uh give them extra uses and then use them for all sorts of like wild things Mm. and uh it's i think uh brooks has been working on our expansion which goes down into the the verdessa which is this wild mutated jungle place with lots of plants and i think forager might be the favorite <laughs> background of this expansion <laughs> i think it's going to be wildly useful nice cool that's awesome well thank you for the the question row the questions those are excellent um as you can see if you send us a question we will answer it um actually i'm not sure if they're if any have gone on the chopping block yet or not, we don't have to answer that. Um, <laughs> no, I think we've answered all of them that have come. You've in. chopped all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> You've been chopped. Okay. <laughs> that brings us to our third segment, which is titled, I'm giving you a chance <laughs> to jump in with a better title, segment two, work stories. <laughs> and we're going to start with the guy who's been talking a lot. Andrew Fisher, what have you been unconscious? (laughs) No, no, that wasn't a complete. That wasn't. That wasn't a criticism. It just so happens. Very brief, Anders. How dare you talk on this podcast? (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, you just love to hear yourself talk, don't you, Fisher? Uh, (laughs) I do. And that is a that is a great quality that you have for this podcast. Anyway, what are you doing? What are you doing right now at work? Yeah, uh, so we are uh, still doing some testing. Uh, we're actually wrapping up wave two of testing at the end of this month, which has been our big kind of push of testing the campaign. Uh, we, I'm, I'm actually pushing out a version this week, uh, version 0.63 out to the testers with a bunch of updates. Uh, so uh, we're, we're kind of... Uh, our, our testers have been have been working to get kind of coverage on all our missions, and I, I do just want to. I know a bunch of our testers listen to the podcast, and I just want to say like a very special thank you to you all. Like it has been so awesome. Wave two has been really stellar. 
we have this core group of testers who's just been doing this incredible job. They meet on, they do solo plays, they meet on Discord to play. And I, I can't tell you how grateful I am for all of the work you've been doing. I, we, we collect a lot of our feedback via Google Forms. And so I get a bunch of data from everybody who's input data as well as uh, everybody's notes. And I kind of scroll through all the notes. And sometimes I don't get to you know, reply directly to each tester, you know, I'll see a note in my collated Google Forms data, but I won't like get to like reply directly to that person. But it has been it, know that I, I read, I read and reread literally every single thing all of uh, you write, and I am incredibly grateful. This game is so much better thanks to all of the work that our testers have put in. So that's been an incredibly rewarding experience and and pretty fun. Uh, to, to chat with them and hear their opinions of the game as they play through. Uh, the other thing I've been doing lately uh, that's kind of exciting, at least it's exciting for me. My friends were making fun of me because I was like, ooh, I get to do layout. And they're like, that is the most boring thing. Uh, but is uh, we've been laying out the rule book in InDesign. So uh, for people who might not be familiar, um, when it comes time to make a rule book, uh, we usually use InDesign, a Adobe product to... Uh, kind of take all of the words and all the pictures and lay them out looking nice in, in a book. And so this is kind of an exercise that involves a lot of different things. It's kind of a writing exercise in that it's kind of a good time to kind of analyze the structure of how the rules are written and ordered uh, and kind of visually lay them out in an appealing way. It's making decisions about what kind of diagrams we need to visualize different rules, how we want those diagrams to look, kind of structuring them, everything we want them to include. Uh, it's just making all these different decisions and it's really about how best to kind of teach the game. It's, well, it's actually kind of interesting because rule books have these, there's kind of this dichotomy for board game rule books. They, they kind of have two purposes. The first purpose is to teach the game uh, for somebody to learn, to actually play in the first time. And then the other one is as a reference because there's going to be a lot of questions that come up, uh, different emergent questions on how things interact, and also just people coming back to the game may have forgotten or missed something. And so uh, these rule books often have to be a reference. And sometimes these two uses can kind of be diametrically opposed. What's useful for teaching the game as far as ordering information or what to tell uh, the reader is very different than what's useful as a reference. And so different people have different approaches to this. Uh, I think probably the most common rule book uh, all of you are used to seeing is, is one big combined rule book. But some places like, uh, for example, Fantasy Flight Games, where uh, several of us worked, did approach where they kind of split the rule book into two pieces, which is the learn to play, which kind of takes that teaching job. And then the rules reference, which is just the you know super dry reference document that answers every single thing in exhaustive exact detail for reference later. And that can kind of help split it up. Here we've kind of decided to go with more of the merged rulebook, where it is both simultaneously the teaching tool and the reference, which poses some of its own challenges. But that's some of what I've been tackling right now with laying out. And like I said earlier, I, earlier, I, I really love lay, layout. I think it was from all my time working on role-playing games, I laid out hundreds and hundreds of pages and so i, I kind of love it i have to love it now <laughs> <laughs> so i've been having fun but yeah and, and actually to the role-playing game my history as a role-playing game person 
we're doing some cool things with this rule book. Uh, do you mind if I talk, Andrew, about oh, yeah. of our plan for yeah, the go, RPG stuff? Go for it. Yeah, it's, it's something that I wanted to do from the beginning. So it's exciting that we're doing it. Yeah, so uh, our rule book, uh, we have a bunch of extra pages in it for um, kind of... I, I draw the RPG analogy because, you know, when you open the rule book, you'll have all your normal stuff. You'll have some lore information and then obviously all of the rules teaching you the game and all of my beautiful diagrams uh, that uh, I'm sure will be perfect. Um, <laughs> and then um, we have kind of a character creation section on building your character. And uh, we can actually distill down deck creation into a pretty dense little section. Like it's not... Um, mechanically that involved it's just a, se a sequence of decisions but just because it's not super mechanically involved it doesn't mean it's not like one of the most critical parts of our game it, we're this card game but we're also kind of this role-playing game and we want people to be invested in and embody their characters mm -hmm. so we didn't want to just have a little character creation section move on instead you know we're building the character creation section into this whole section of the book that kind of walks you through how to build your deck but then also kind of shares and teaches you about all of the different options and what they mean for your character. So we have, you know, anybody who's used a role-playing book, uh, uh, played a role-playing game is probably familiar with kind of paging through and looking at all the different classes you have and seeing art of that class and all the different abilities and reading each one. And we kind of wanted that same feel. So the book has basically what you'd come to expect from a role-playing game where we kind of give profiles on all our different backgrounds and all our different specialties. And we show off our, our Evan's cool art of each one. And we show off like all the cards in these little condensed formats so that you can kind of see all the, the abilities that you have at your disposal if you make this decision. And so it's kind of this nice little reference for when you're building your character so you don't have to dig through your card pool. But it's also just kind of a cool read to see what the game has to offer. And so kind of the back half of our rule book is all this kind of RPG-style character creation stuff, and I'm pretty excited about it. That sounds awesome. Evan, are you, are you doing the... Gra is someone else doing graphic design? Or are you handling that Fisher? Uh, at the moment i don't really have time to <laughs> but <I'm, laughs> i will be doing a little bit of it but andrew navarro you'll be doing a good portion of the graphic design as well correct I believe right <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I've, I've done a lot of the graphic design up to this point and i'll continue okay. to do that I, I think uh what kind of what we've been doing and i think what we'll continue to do is you know i'll do the initial pass and then uh, hand it off to Evan to do some some additional artistry on it. Uh, but yeah, we we, awesome. we have we're we're replete with graphic design uh, competence on this team. Like you know, Fisher has, did you have your degree in graphic design, or did you just went to school for graphic design? No, I went to computer. Uh, I went to school for computer science, actually. Yeah, but you you, oh. you took graphic design courses there, didn't you? Oh, yeah, something? yeah, I yeah, took yeah. a bunch of art courses, and yeah, like I I was pretty decent at like pencil drawing, especially, but. Mm -hmm. it's been a long time yeah well i didn't <laughs> oh, go to school for graphic design either i just did it all <laughs> on my own after leaving school um but uh it's easy but yeah we know we know what we're doing we'll, we'll, everyone will be chipping in in the end there's a lot of graphic design stuff to do i, oh, I will say um I'm sure back in our ffg days fisher you would always deliver some pretty nice um diagrams in the rule book and i never felt like i had to do very much to make them embellish them further than mm -hmm. how you you know pose them originally so oh well, well thank I, you 
<laughs> got uh, I have high expectations to see these diagrams because I haven't, <laughs> I actually haven't seen the rule book yet. So, um, well, I, I I did some I, I did some janky stuff. I'm I'm trying to kind of simulate what these things would look like in perspective. You know, if we render them. And oh, yeah. so I did some janky stuff with the skew tool in InDesign. So I can't <laughs> tell you my setup diagram. It's a little cubist at the moment. Like you know, one, <laughs> I, the skew tool is yeah. only so useful. So they're not yeah. all on the exact same three-dimensional isometric plane. But mm-hmm. you'll see what I'm I, going I'm for. surprised <laughs> the skew tool didn't crash InDesign. Because uh, you know, it tried. <laughs> I love InDesign, but there are some things about it that... Oh, there's so many things. Quirks. Oh. well evan do you want to do it says here on the notes that you haven't done anything this week (laughs) you weren't supposed to read that (laughs) (laughs) i took a several day nap and emerged to do this podcast uh (laughs) i don't really have hibernation week this is your hibernation week yeah (laughs) (laughs) um no i've just been busy with art and doing art direction stuff and um a lot of a lot of awesome looking art is coming in i wish i could talk about it and share share it but i just have to be patient and wait for uh the moments when we can share these publicly publicly before the game comes out so Mm -hmm. yeah i think we really want to be able to show uh, a lot of the stuff in template with the cards and Mm -hmm. uh, so Mm -hmm. people can really can really sink their teeth into it you know that doesn't mean we won't continue to show little previews of art (laughs) <laughs> on this podcast mm-hmm. and elsewhere in the uh, in the days and months ahead, I, I will say there is one artist that I work with named Wayne, who is a phenomenal illustrator, and he listens to this podcast. And I just want to say, Wayne, like I can't wait to show you or show the public your work. Um, so it'll, it'll go. come eventually. So <laughs> yeah, there you go, Wayne. Yeah. come up everybody Wayne's, wayne yeah wayne stuff is awesome we just yeah. need like we just did say a, a combo graphic design art thing that we need to do some work some yep. work with it but yep. uh his 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 contribution to it is is pretty phenomenal yeah yeah oh i know what he's doing yeah <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing wayne i'm curious now <laughs> you'll see eventually everybody will see eventually yeah it's great you'll love it <laughs> It's cool to know that uh, artists on the game are also listening to the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Should we move on to Andrew? Sure, why not? <laughs> Which, what are you up to? I've been playtesting a lot, uh, trying to get through the entire campaign um, within the next, uh, hopefully by the end of this weekend. I'll be pretty close to the end of the story, just so I could you know, finish it up and can you know, give my notes on it. I've been leaving lots of notes in the campaign guide and this ever growing uh playtest feedback document that I've been <laughs> uh mm-hmm. sharing with Fisher every, every week uh and uh it's been pretty it's been pretty awesome but yeah I, I'm uh I'm getting through it I'm I'm in the the meat of the main story right now where I've done a couple pretty epic game sessions these last few days that were uh, pretty pretty exciting i I don't i don't want to talk about exactly what i was doing because it'd be it'd be spoilery but um and you're mostly a lot of time playing the game mostly playing through solo yeah i'm just playing solo and then you know and i invited a couple friends in um over the past couple weeks uh to play i got joe i got joe banner to play with me um a couple Mm -hmm. sessions that was really fun and my friend dan came over a couple weekends ago and uh 
finally got a chance to show him the game. But that's that's been really fun. I'm very happy with where everything's going. Uh, we can, we still have a lot of work to do on the um, on the campaign guide, but uh, a lot of work has already been done. It's just this is pretty massive. <laughs> uh, so I've also been uh, starting to get ready for localization um, with our uh, with our German and Italian partners. So I've sent them some some sample cards that they can use on their pre-order stores, uh, that we're going to be, so we're going to be launched. We'll be launching the pre-order store at the end of this month. Uh, for mm-hmm. those of you who didn't catch that on the, on the team covenant stream, uh, the goal is to launch it on the 25th of April. So, uh, couple, I was thinking about earth day, but I'm going to be out of town on earth day. And I, I thought it'd be, uh, I went from thinking, Oh sure. I could do that to be like, no, that's a bad idea. I should not launch the pre-order store when I'm, not necessarily <laughs> immediately available mm-hmm. uh so we're going to do that on the following monday so that'll be on the 25th so yeah we're we, we want to be able to do a launch where our german partner and our italian partner could also uh, offer the game for pre-order at the same time so coordinating with them and uh, i'm excited interested to see especially how the the german translation comes in and how we need to adjust the templates to uh to accommodate the German language, which is typically, you know, like 25% longer than English. Mm. Sometimes more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, These poor challenge bars uh, have Mm. uh, quite a bit of text in them. So we're going to be doing some uh, shenanigans (laughs) to get that to fit. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that we'll do something that'll look, that'll look good. I think the cool thing is we're not, uh, one of the nice things is we're not doing so, uh, a common thing in in games uh, when you're doing localized editions is you'll do all the text on the components in black. And the reason why you do that is that it saves money at the printer because each time you change a plate at the printer, uh, one of the color plates. Uh, so there's you know there's, there's the colors for <clears throat> there's a plate for each for each of the four colors. Uh, there's only there's only four colors in the world. No, it's, it's cyan, yeah. magenta, uh, black, and yellow. <clears throat> right. So, uh, whenever you change those, it costs money. So to save money, oftentimes in localization, uh, games will will do what's called black plate replaceable text. So that's the only plate that has to change. So it it becomes more cost efficient. Uh, we didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't. I was originally envisioning this game being being printed digitally. Uh, mm. so I didn't think it was a big deal. And I also was thinking, ah, it'll be English only. So it's fine. Uh, but we ended up having, <laughs> getting some partners on board and hopefully we'll get some more. Uh, so because of that, that allows the partners to be able to adjust our card frames. Um, so, you know, where those challenge bars that, you know, Fisher was showing, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty narrow. And if it was black plate, you would have no recourse except to make that type super, super small to fit in that color band because that color band mm. is not changing because that plate doesn't change. But mm. since we can change, uh, since we'll have to change all the plates for all the languages, they'll be able to ex- expand those bars to fit more text in. Um, mm. uh, so I, I think that's that's what I would think we'll probably do, but we'll see. It'll, it'll be up to our partners how they want to approach it. If they were like, ah, we're fine with the smaller type face, then we'll, we'll make it smaller. And it might be a combination of, of the two. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see. So that's, that's pretty exciting. And uh, we're about to go on that adventure of localization with them very soon. Uh, I think at the end of this month, we're planning on having the card text 
mostly done, uh, at least done enough where they'll be able to really get going on it. So that's exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we're probably going to talk about tomorrow. When's our, when are we planning on doing the, uh, the card review of the card council, Fisher? Uh, card council is starting later next week. Uh, hey, I'm so excited. Yeah, it, it, it'll all depend on how long it takes me to update all our exporter scripts. <laughs> so whenever <laughs> I'm done with that is when we're going to start. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm really looking really looking forward to that. I'm especially looking forward to just you know, reviewing all of the theme on all the tests and stuff and uh, and also just, you know, honing in on our on our language. Uh, I find that stuff really, really enjoyable mm-hmm. um, as a former English major. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. And uh, so, yeah, as far as localization also, you know, I, I talked about this a little bit in the uh, last Kickstarter update, but uh, the consulting firm we're working with is uh, has begun reaching out to uh, potential foreign publishers uh, to see if they're interested. It sounds like we have a lot of interest, which is super exciting. Um, I'm really curious. I'll be really curious, though, to see how many of those people will actually be able to get on board for the initial print run. Um, it'd be cool, uh, but they're going to have to jump in with both feet and, and really uh, have and be able to have the time in their schedule now to localize a very word intensive game. So uh, I'll be curious to see if we get anyone else on board for this initial print run. My guess is they'll wait until the reprint. But we'll see. Yeah, the, their onboarding would be pretty dramatic. It's <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, welcome aboard. Have hundreds of cards to translate right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we're done with those. Here's this 10,000 10, plus word uh, campaign guide. Oh, it's more than 10,000 words. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said plus. <laughs> <laughs> Very plus. Yeah. I haven't done the word plus, count. What plus. is the word count on it right now? It's not even done. Oh, I- uh, yeah, I, I don't actually know what, what where Sam's uh, at at the I'm moment. I'm really curious. But anyway, it, it's, it's, it's higher than 10. It's very high. And there's still a lot of uh, placeholder text in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, are so they going to... 40 right now. 40,000 words? <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Man, this, this game is very big. Mm. Uh, that's very cool. Um, that makes me very excited. Um, yeah, so th- that's that's pretty cool. I'm I'm I'm... Looking forward to meeting all those partners. We'll be, we'll be doing meetings with all of them and getting demos of the game and stuff. So I'm excited to uh, excited to meet those those fine people and uh, and see what they think. Uh, and then I think the uh, last thing I want to talk about is just production and manufacturing. Something I talked a little bit about again on the uh, on the Team Covenant live stream. So yeah, I'll mention that again. I was on uh, Team Covenant's live stream this Monday, talking about the game. Uh, and I, I talked a little bit about uh, our man, our manufacturing and the fact that we've lined up a printer in Europe uh, that will be doing a European print run. So that'll include the the German and Italian edition and then any other European partners that get on board. Uh, but we're still looking for, we still haven't landed on our domestic manufacturer. So we're still trying for that uh, again, because it's the thing, the one thing that I promised through stretch goals that we do but uh it's been uh not gonna lie it has been challenging um to find someone as we don't have anyone lined up yet we'd still have requests for quotes out with a couple of uh a couple of pretty big uh companies in the states uh, but then we'll also be talking to some smaller printers who don't typically do 
uh, game printing, but I feel like they should be able to handle Earthboard Rangers and they expressed uh, their uh, potential ability to be able to do that. Um, but we're still working on it. And that's, uh, that's, that is definitely a source of, uh, of stress for me. Um, especially in it's, it's in irritation because, you know, in most cases when you are making a board game, you find your manufacturer and then you're done. Uh, and we found a manufacturer for part of our production. We still need to find another one. So, uh, mm. so we're going to keep working on it. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to break through and, and, um, and find someone, you know, good to take on the job. Uh, and I, but I also don't want to just settle on a domestic printer just because they're domestic. Like they still need to be able to, um, hit all of our, our goals for sustainability as far as FSC and recyclability. And, um, they need to be able to source their materials domestically. And that I think so far, what I've learned is that is the largest challenge is finding domestically sourced materials for in us for us printers. Um, because I, uh, you know, a lot of what we're doing is, you know, trying to keep things local to reduce the amount that, you know, materials need to travel from place to place or the games need to travel from place to place. But if we're sourcing all of the paper and all the components for the game from overseas and then printing it domestically, like, I don't know if that trade-off's worth it. We'll have to, we'll have mm-hmm. to wait and see. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's where, that's where that's sitting. And obviously I'll, I'll keep everyone posted as to how, where that goes and where it ultimately lands, but, um, haven't given up hope yet. Awesome. Um, but good news is our European printer is phenomenal. Mm. Uh, they're, you know, they're hitting, they're hitting all of our, uh, sustainability, uh, goals and, um, including sourcing, uh, in, in the country in which the, uh, the printer is situated. So, uh, so that's really great. And, um, they're also what country, you know, Germany, Germany. Okay. Yep. Uh, so they're, they're also, uh, willing to, um, not use shrink wrap and use a plastic wrap instead, which is, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, keep you posted. I'll keep you posted, <laughs> but that's definitely been a thing that's been weighing on my mind Yeah, uh, you're get- for months that- and now it's getting down to it. It's still weighing on my mind. So we're, we're working on it. You're getting somewhere. Um, I was doing a little research. What, what is it called? The playbook, the log book. What were you saying? Talking about word count. Oh, the campaign guide. The campaign guide. Yeah. Uh, it, it is longer in words than uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm. <laughs> and it, fit, it, fits, it fits the criteria of a novella. So your, your Earthborn ga- Rangers game is going to be packaged with a novella. Perfect. I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty, yeah. <laughs> well, when I originally envisioned it, I did envision it being a perfect bound uh, book, like a, like a little mm. novel. That's that's what it, that's what I wanted to do. That's my, my first quote for the game. It has a little perfect bound <laughs> book in it. Mm. Uh, Where does it stand now? Right now, it's a saddle stitch book. It's forty eight pages. So mm. <laughs> we, we we'll see how that goes. It might yeah. have to be bigger. Yeah, Sam's still got some writing to do, and we're already at forty. So uh, well, I don't there think... is a bunch of lore info. There's a bunch of lore info at the start that's getting moved over to the rule book, though. So we few up, we free up a few thousand words with that. Sure. We'll see. <laughs> and I'm pretty 38, sure thirty eight thousand words. <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. Animal Farm is not forty eight pages long. So that's a, that's a pretty small. Sm- that is a pretty small book. That's a very small. It book. It is. It's about a hundred pages. Um, yeah. With illustrations that are beautiful. Our, our pages are very big. Two yes. columns. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That makes they're more they're sense. big. <laughs> Let's move on. 
All right. Segment three, sustainability <laughs> chat. <laughs> we're going right. to go back, and now we're going to listen to Andrew Navarro talk some more. That's right. That's how we That's do what it. That's what you're all here to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this week I wanted to talk about shrink wrap. You know, I... I <laughs> It's it's something that it's uh, like I've mentioned it's in the news a lot these days. Yeah, it's, I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. Uh, I think I think it's on the top of everybody's mind these days. You know, with everything going on. Well, okay. right, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's been the thing that uh, is like I mentioned before is always kind of like the the sticking point when it comes to uh, eliminating all single use plastics uh, from the game, and. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, do a little bit of research on on shrink wrap and the environmental impact of it. Mm. And uh, interestingly, I, I I didn't really find anything that talks about specifically about the impact of shrink wrap. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly because it's just so ubiquitous; it's just it's yeah. everywhere. So it's just it's so shrink wrap is just the, the same plastic, this kind of soft plastic, this polyethylene plastic that's used in everything like you know plastic bags at the grocery store Mm -hmm. uh you know your the bags you take you carry out of the grocery store with you or like the bags that are there at the uh at where in the vegetable the vegetable stations right um uh it is uh you know wrapped around all of your all the produce in the in the grocery store it's wrapped mm-hmm. around every product that you'll <laughs> that you can yeah. find in in most retail stores uh it's it's just everywhere and um when i was looking into the pros and cons of shrink wrap versus alternative materials there's there's definitely a, a couple of camps there's the uh the heart kind of like the more hardcore um uncompromising environmentalist point of view which is you know all plastic is bad get rid of plastic forever any any plastic is bad plastic uh as soon as we can get rid of plastic it'll be better for everybody and then there's the other camp which is this more like entrenched uh industry which talks about shrink wrap and plastic in general as Hey, it's not as bad as everyone says, because uh, mm. there's no better option right now. Uh, or mm. saying, oh, you know, the better option, the only better option is uh, is a bioplastic or a biodegradable plastic. Um, but uh, uh, there's definitely uh, I read <laughs> read some material from that side where they talk about how the trade off of emissions versus plastic in the environment. Uh, doesn't add up. And from their perspective, they're saying that, you know, yeah, plastic's not great and it's not a long-term solution, but for now, it'd be more damaging to move away from plastic because these other alternative materials are heavier and therefore they'll take, you know, more fuel when they, you know, move them across the country or your product will weigh more because mm. uh plastic's so light and uh mm. and, you know that, and like and it'll protect the it, nothing works as good to, to protect your product from you know moisture and mildew and et cetera et cetera et cetera um and i I think those perspectives are interesting because I think they make i think very uh logical arguments 
-hmm. but I think it also just prevents people from doing anything differently. And I feel that a, a, a lot about a lot of entrenched industries where they, they, it, 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 and I think it's just human nature to not want to change mm-hmm. or to try to do anything differently. Cause you can make a million excuses, even on a personal level, even though oh, if you yeah. know something's good for you to not go do that thing. That's good. It's like, ah, I should really go. I should really go to the gym. Uh-huh. I'm just saying that to myself right now. I should go to the gym. I would like to yeah. go to the gym or I, or if not, you know, maybe I should just go do some yoga. Um, I did yoga a couple of days ago and I'm super sore. So it's like, ah, I, I should go do that again. Cause I was so sore. And that's a sign I that can't. I should probably do that more, but yeah, you know what? Instead, I'm just going to lie in bed cause it's so comfortable. You know, it's and nice. I need this. I need this I need because th- today was hard. And yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Humans exactly. are great at rationalizing anything we want. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to use plastic. So let's, uh, let's give you a hundred reasons <laughs> yeah. why plastics are actually better for the environment. Yeah. And like the, yeah. the, the, the argument's strong. It's like, it's cheap. It, it's, uh, it's, it's relatively light, it's lightweight. So it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. have a lot of material. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it protects, you know, you're, you can put a wrap a game in plastic and it'll stay good forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like really, it also just, it really just comes down to how easy it is to source and how inexpensive it is. And then when you look at the other side, like where, again, I have to have all these conversations like, Hey, can you not do shrink wrap? What can we do? What can we do? And like, it took five times of me asking about shrink wrap for them finally to say, Oh yeah, we could do this paper wrap thing that we've been working on. <laughs> but mm. I'd ask for it again and again and again and again. Like he didn't mention it. They didn't mention it to me the first time I asked or the second time I asked or the third time or fourth time, mm-hmm. you know, but eventually they're like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> yes, mm. we can do mm-hmm. something else. Uh, <laughs> and I think, uh, and I, and I, and from my perspective, like I was personally like ready to give up and be like, ah, oh, fine. You know, maybe I should just justify just shrink wrap because there's no other option. Uh, because it is recyclable technically. Um, a lot of it's not, nece- but it's also not necessarily recyclable uh, locally. Um, it's because uh, it needs to go through a special process because it's a soft, soft plastics need a different, different mechanisms or a different machinery than the hard plastics. Because I think the hard plastic uh, recycling centers have trouble with soft plastic because it gums everything up and can cause uh, cause damage to those uh, to those machines. Um, so, like you know, it's like you, you, so you can't like put those soft plastics in your recycling bin. At least here uh, in the Twin Cities, you have to bundle them all up. I don't know if you guys do this, but we do this. Ridwell. We have, we have bags and bags of bags. Yeah. Right, and that, we we just discovered a uh, recycling company that takes those away. Nice, know, yeah, it's called Ridwell. So anyway, uh, we we bring them to uh, our local um, grocery store, our local festival. And, oh, right, right. And they have little bins there that you can put them in. But sometimes those bins are totally full, and they're like, ah, no, no more, no oh. more plastic, please. Uh, so you have to like bring them home and you know put them back in your garage or wherever. <laughs> so so many bags. Um, so. Uh, you know, when faced with that, oftentimes, you know, people just, you know, throw it away anyway. So I think, yeah, you know, just like with paper, um, plastic is recyclable, but the problem is that oftentimes people just don't bother to do it. Right. And that's, right. that's what causes, that's what causes all this stuff to stick around. Um, and I think also the, uh, some things that I found were, 
uh, again, kind of make me really frustrated because I feel like when people make arguments like this, it's kind of how we got to where we are in the, in the first place where the response to, Oh yeah, there's so much plastic in the environment. Um, is I don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Like (laughs) someone else. Science. Yeah. yeah, Science and technology will come to the rescue and uh, it'll be fine. Don't, you know, it'll be fine, but we're, we're punting it, you know, for future generations to take care of. And uh, if we were to just, you know, change what we're doing now, then they won't have those. They'll have other problems, but they won't have this one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like, uh, there are bacteria and, you know, fungus that people are, you know, some people are excited about as being, be able to eat plastic because they don't need light or <laughs> oxygen or anything. And they can just devour the the plastic. Apparently there's a bunch of species of mushrooms that can, that can do wow. that, which That's is pretty awesome. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that turns into. Like, I don't know what they turned into. I did note, I noticed there was one article that, uh, talked about the taste of those mushrooms and they said, I forget what it said, but they oh, ate no. them. And I was like, I wouldn't, I don't know yeah. if I'd do that. I have enough plastic in my system already. I, I don't know. Yeah. But they said that there's no plastic remaining, uh, after the, the mushrooms are done with it. So however they process it, I have no idea and what they turned it into and how they do it. Mm. No clue, but it's magic. Fascinating. You know, you know, science, biology. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so I think that that's kind of cool. And then, you know, uh, Evan shared with me uh, several months ago that uh, there's they're doing this alternate packaging that's uh that is fungus, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That has kind of like the same strength as uh, as plastic for uh for like interior packaging stuff where they oh. have a mold and they just grow the fungus into the mold and then they bake it to kill it. Yep. And then they use that and it's completely compostable and biodegradable it's all made out of mushrooms yeah it's from a uh youtube channel i watch called undecided Um, yeah it's a cool channel yeah undecided Uh, with matt farrell yep yeah so there's he has has an episode on that that was that was pretty neat and i did uh inquire about that but it's very expensive um what i understand it is that uh any of that molding stuff like uh like that uh, kind of that paper pulp material it's like it kind of like serves that same basic purpose mm-hmm. uh the quantities that you have to order are just yeah. <laughs> ridiculously high mm-hmm. uh it's in the ten tens of thousands if not more it's, it's like industrial yeah uh, industrial grade stuff that's that's uh, the dispiriting thing about all the things he covers the alternate energy sources and stuff is they're also early stages that it's so costly to to make it work but any one of those things, alternatives can become affordable if the right amount of infrastructure was put into it, you know? So it just yeah. will take time, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, totally. And I think, and again, that's the, that's always the argument. It's like, ah, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. But, um, you know, luckily there are companies that do, that have a lot of money that do invest in that stuff. So yeah, it'll just take a while for that, for that becomes more, um, prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my. Those are my. Those are my thoughts on on shrink wrap. In the end, I I, I think I side more on the environmentalist side, where I feel like I'd rather mm-hmm. I'd rather uh, not put more plastic into the world, since especially since we don't really know how long it'll be there and yeah, <laughs> how if ever we can really get rid of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but we're still working on it. The ongoing saga of the shrink wrap continues. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
Right. I'm 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 fascinated by it. I love the shrink wrap talk. Great. <laughs> but it but unfortunately we're going to wrap it up there and move on to <laughs> segment if four. only i had more to say about <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the stuff that we're into in a segment we like to call stuff we're into <laughs> going off script for that one <laughs> yeah I was, i've been thinking about it for the last 20 minutes um, <laughs> and as always we're going to start with me the guy who has a lot going on in his life and doesn't have a lot of time for fun. But um, <laughs> I did. What, so, you know, my life is a little bit hectic and can be stressful. And I've always kind of turned to to different forms of entertainment, uh, food, you know, things, things to distract myself and, and feel a little bit better. And in the past, uh, some games that I've become obsessed with are things like, uh, you know, online multiplayer games, highly competitive things. I feel like I can really like zone in and just shut everything off because I'm in that competitive mode. So games like Overwatch and Rocket League. But ultimately, after a couple of weeks of that, I start feeling like shit uh, because, <laughs> yep. you know, the, cord- the cortisol is pumping. You're like, you, you, you feel so terrible when you lose. You feel all these highs and lows and I, I get burnt out and I, I never go back uh, to those games. Like Overwatch, I, I put hundreds of hours into and now I can't touch it. It just <laughs> makes me sick to think about playing that game. Um, <laughs> really? Was but, it like a, you're just into it too much or you're taking it so, too hard? Yeah, I would just like zone in for hours, you know, just like I never got into the the mode where I'm talking to people or anything. Just, you know. Actually, just yeah. I was going to ask did, did you did you did you start raging? Did you yell <laughs> yeah. at some poor children playing this game or something? <laughs> Thankfully, I, I did not have the audio turned on. It was just just me That's raging, <laughs> feeling you know feeling like I'm about to have a, a stroke or something. Um, <laughs> but a game that that has been really good for me and and kind of because I think we do, although it can be kind of um, toxic feeling like that. I think we that kind of thing does serve a purpose. You know, we can't always meditate and stuff. I think there's, we can in a healthy way, allow ourselves to become absorbed in stuff, you know, to help our mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this game called the binding of Isaac. Have it's a cheery game. Yeah. Have you played it? I know. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. The game itself at first, I, it's not my style at all. It's got this kind of hot topic, kind of like cute, evil, aesthetic that's not not my favorite at all um but it's such a deep it's like such a like surprisingly deep game um it's it's a roguelike so you start fresh every time you play when you die you start over uh randomly generated levels and stuff um don't you shoot tears yeah you shoot tears you shoot (laughs) tears at like poop poop monsters and bloody blood spurting demons and stuff it's got this kind of uh biblical reference going on throughout and juvenile humor um (laughs) and it's top down looks like zelda or something um but it's just so wildly deep and you were talking earlier about that um unique experience you had andrew playing earthborn and i feel like i've had so many memorable experiences with this game where i kind of build up you kind of build up your character as you collect these items each run and the way these different item pickups you get synergize is just wild like every time 
every run is going to be your your character is going to end in a totally different way you know your tears take on different forms that i don't know you just got to kind of play the game to understand but i don't get that kind of rage feeling because i'm not playing against anybody online i can pause the game whenever i do get upset sometimes when i when i lose obviously but i don't know it's just been every night i've just started a new run as i'm going to bed it takes about an hour and if i win i feel real good when i go to sleep and if i lose i can just think oh that was that was pretty fun you know, which is a, which is a totally different uh, feeling than playing like, you know, Overwatch or something. <laughs> anyway, I love the game. I don't know if it's for everybody, but it's becoming maybe one of my top 10. Wow. Nice. Top, top 10, top five, top three, maybe. I don't know. I wow. feel a real personal Getting connection higher to all the it. Time. Yeah. It's not the best game, but like I feel personally attached. I, I like do you ever play a game where you can just feel the creator in it? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. feel the person yeah. who made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel that all the time. You, you, you feel you feel connected to Edmund McMillan or Exactly. Or the, yeah. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, I played <laughs> Super Meat Boy. I, I I played a little bit of Binding of Isaac, but yeah, I, I, mm. like I couldn't get into the like the aesthetic, I think really kind of turned me off. It turned uh, me off too. But then it became charming because it's kind of bad, you know. <laughs> they also if you played it when it first came out, they completely overhauled it. No, I like think I played Re- Rebirth was the one I tried. Okay, so, so yeah. yeah, much much it, later. It's how it looks now. I yeah. grew to love it, but I totally understand. Yeah, and then actually, I've, you mentioning before you go on, Anders, you mentioning yeah, yeah, yeah. your uh, top ten, top three. I was thinking the other day that I think it would be cool to do uh, to do an episode where like we take each each person has an opportunity to talk mm-hmm. about their you know top X number. Hell yeah. Games I was, or influ- most influential games. I was thinking of that as I was thinking about this game earlier. So I'm on the same page. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would How be many? Fun. Top top five? Top three? What game? Just games in general? Yeah, I thought about that. I was wondering if it was like your top, if we do our favorites or our most influential or, you know, mm-hmm. we, we could figure out a way. But I think we could do, you know, spend an episode one for, for each of us and that'd uh, be talk fun. about that. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I like I like like most influential, right? Like the the ones that have like spoken to you, and we could kind of combine board games and yeah. tabletop mm-hmm. games and video games and stuff yeah, would be cool, exactly. right? Yeah, I have a feeling my do. list will be wildly different from from your all. <laughs> I think that I think they'll all be different. Yeah, that'll I make it imagine. fun. No, I, I, Evan, I can just bring up the fi- full list of Final yeah, Fantasy that, games I mean, on Wikipedia. There it is, so, right uh, there. <laughs> no, no. no, it'd be more. Yeah, it'd be more variety than that. <laughs> i know I'm, I'm just giving you crap <laughs> we could do something like favorite game most influential game and what you think is the best game or something like that yeah sure yeah. <clears throat> and i've also been playing the new kirby game on switch and that's fun cool how is, yeah how is that it's um it's fun it's creative it kind of hits the same chords for me as super mario odyssey in that it's kind of a, a new surprise around every corner. It's so easy. It's just really easy. Um, that's the one drawback. You just it's <laughs> made for little kids. But it it makes <laughs> it makes me smile. It makes me smile a lot. Um and it's beautiful looking. I, I would recommend it. There's a demo on Switch. Oh, there is. Yep. Okay. Well, you can get a demo. good feel. F- you can get a good feel for it there. But it gets better, much better beyond that. But there's not much to say about that game. It's just a fun little game. And, or Kirby uh, eating things. Yeah, Kirby <laughs> eating things. The yeah. smile on his face. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except in this one, he can inhale like giant items like a, a car. And it, oh. it's kind of, it looks like, a, then it just looks like a car wrapped in like Kirby wrap. <laughs> and it's kind of cool. <laughs> and then you can inhale a, a like a soda vending machine and like shoot, uh, shoot soda at enemies. It, it, <laughs> it just feels, it feels really great to play. It's a fun game. Nice. Um, Fisher, what have you been playing? Yeah, well, uh, much like when I was last on this podcast, like five weeks ago, I am still playing Elden Ring yes. because I'm slow. <laughs> and uh, also, we've been pushing out uh, updates to Rangers every few weeks. And every time I do these updates, I it, it's like a little micro crunch time for me and video games kind of fall by the wayside a bit. But I'm making progress uh, uh, to... to for, for for people who would know i'm just beyond the capital uh um I'm i feel like i'm kind of there hit, yet I, I kind of feel like i've hit my stride in the game with i kind of finally you know there, there was like a bunch of hard parts but i've kind of hit my stride of i've got my system when i roll into a boss you know i've, I've unlocked some of the like more potent uh items in the game that kind of help me with the boss. And so I kind I kind of roll in and do my system and I've one shot a bunch of bosses now. I mean, not like one shot, one shot, but like killed them without dying. So, you know, I, I feel like I'm getting my system down pat and things are kind of rolling now. Uh, though I, I have hit a couple walls where clearly I need to go back and like farm some more runes. And I hit another one now where I'm just like not high enough level to be fighting the things I'm fighting. So, mm. but I, I'm still, I'm still liking it quite a bit. Uh, the other game I, I, I've played a lot of recently, and I, I don't remember if I've talked about it on the podcast. I don't think I have, but I apologize no. if I'm redundant. You haven't. Uh, but <laughs> I play a lot. I've been playing a lot of this game called uh, Hunt Showdown. It's like came out years ago, totally flew under my radar until uh, mm -hmm. a friend of mine, Tim, pointed it out to me. So it's by Crytek, uh, the the people who make like made like crisis and far cry originally and stuff uh and it's this kind of multiplayer shooter where up to 12 people join a match uh and they can be on teams of anywhere from one to three and all these teams can kind of be paired together so it's kind of battle royale in that you all kind of load into this open world map but it's a lot smaller than a battle royale because only 12 of you and then you have to hunt down these different bosses kind of figure out where they are on the map these pve bosses kill them and then you can take these bounties off of them and you have to escape at randomly set points around the outside of the map with these bounties and there's a limited number of bounties and these teams are competing for them and if you die you're out of the game so you can kind of see theoretically you don't have to fight anybody right you could go find a, a boss kill it and escape without running into anybody but naturally the systems all kind of encourage everybody to uh converge on these bosses and once you kill a boss you have to like banish it so you have to uh you kind of go to its corpse and you start this ritual that takes a bunch of time and everybody in the map can see while you're banishing. So it's kind of like this giant come here to steal our stuff indicator. And so it kind of has this because you. When you're dead, you're out. It has this high tension kind of gunplay and it's set in like the late 1800s. So it's all kind of old school weapons. So there's a lot of reloading. And one of the other really cool things about the game that I kind of wanted to talk about is that it really leans on sound design. So 
you cannot play this game without sound or you can you'll die um it's like critical to like play with surround sounds you can hear exactly where things are happening and how far away they're happening and what people are doing and so sound plays almost as an important role as the visuals and it kind of creates this really strategic experience where you're using all these different tools and traps and listening to the other players to try to figure out where they are and what they're doing and you know you're potentially coordinating with uh, up to two other people on your team at the same time you know and and like you're you're talking on chat and then you're like Shh, i think i hear they're throwing something i hear a fuse and you know mm. like you're you're trying to cross communicate but also listen to the game and it's very high tension because if you're out you're out and so like we've been having just a blaster that i've been playing with my friends uh, over discord and it's it's just been i, I even though it's like a couple years old and like kind of this random game I didn't think I'd get into, I've been loving it. It's just so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah, you talking about the uh, the, the the boss moments reminded me. Do you ever do you ever play uh, the Division? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the Dark Zones in in, in the Division, where you know you go yep. and you fight these guys, and then <laughs> invariably some other group will roll up and take all your stuff. <laughs> yeah you had to like call in like extraction or something and yeah like, people would see it on the map and could all roll in on you it's yep. it's, it's a lot like that actually yeah. yeah cool that sounds fun totally yeah i've been really liking it awesome evan how about you um tell us well, about it like everyone ever since elden ring came out um no i'm just kidding i haven't <laughs> I, I i've been playing a game called sonic mania with a friend of mine it came out in like 2017. Like Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, it's just it was it's kind of like um it revisits all the old levels that were really popular from the first three games and it introduces some new ones. And the fun thing about it is um the original Sonic games, each world or uh, I don't know, level, it's usually but di- divided into two or three levels. And in this in this one, um you play like the classic version of the level and then the next level you play a remixed version with remixed soundtrack. And I always thought the Sonic soundtrack was really cool (laughs) growing up. So it's Mm -hmm. fun to hear like this music um, remixed uh, updated and stuff like that. Um, And they also introduced some levels that were cutting room floor levels. Uh, I believe there's a few levels in Sonic two that, never made it and they just made new ones that were inspired by it so it's really cool to see these things that were meant to be but never were um Mm -hmm. and yeah i i'm i'm kind of (laughs) i'm not really exposed to a lot of these new games that you all play so i end up just (laughs) going back to nostalgia and revisiting (laughs) old stuff so there's so many games yeah like i've ceased keeping up i used to i used to very uh like kind of obsessively keep up with every new game i had like a a gamefly account uh oh yeah 10 years ago i was like playing a a new i was like trying to i was like finishing a game a week sometimes like two just Mm -hmm. so i could like stay on top of the (laughs) new releases i did that for like two years and then Mm. eventually That'd be hard. I can't, I can't do this anymore. No, it, it felt like another job. <laughs> You're an adult. It was very stressful. <laughs> trying well, trying to piggyback those GameFly, returning the GameFly discs and getting the it ones, sucks. getting it back that's in how, time. And... I know. That's how I'm playing uh, Kirby, actually, with GameFly. Because they they always offer, you know, come back for a dollar. So that's what I did. 
so I could pl- not have to really pay much to play that. They game. stopped doing that for me. I because I used to oh. join for a month and then I I did that for like three. Threaten leaving. Oh, you got flagged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got flagged. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it takes They're like a like, full month. We mu- see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shame but on if, you. <laughs> but if you have one game at a time, it takes almost like three weeks to get send the game and get a new one. It's yeah, I know. So I did the terrible. Two, I did the two game the two game plan so I could piggyback them. That's a great. Great. Yeah, uh, no, it's, way to do it, was it. An, it ended up being a nightmare. It was a it was a, it was a, a chain around my neck. <laughs> I, I I will say though, um, I see a lot of memes and stuff pop up about Elden Ring, and I watch funny videos from time to time. Where, uh, so I, I know nothing about these games, but it looks like you can watch recordings or ghosts of other players doing things. Mm-hmm. And um, this probably sounds really funny to people who are like, you don't know. What the hell this game, this game <laughs> works? Every but, from software game. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've really enjoyed watching those things, and I feel like I have an understanding of how the game plays, and I I have picked, I've absorbed some of the memes mm-hmm. indirectly. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. You seem to do that a lot. I do. Not yeah. really play the game, but just learn about it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Is that so you can have friends? Yeah. Yeah. I guess Pretty so. Much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, have you been playing a game called Elden Ring by chance? I have. I have been playing Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah. I, cool. I, so I'm not very far in that game at all. Um, but uh, I've been trying to squeeze in an hour or so uh, every day. Um, mm-hmm. Though I this past week I haven't played at all. <laughs> oh, I've been trying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, that gets a lot of fun. That game's a lot of fun. Kind of like you were saying, Fisher. I feel like I'm kind of like finally getting in the in the groove where I feel I'm moving through the world with confidence. Uh, you know, until I hit a brick wall that's covered in spikes, and then <laughs> you know, re- rethink some things. Uh, but yeah, that, that uh, it's it. I think the thing I like the most about that game is just the uh, is, is it does feel like one of the most rewarding mechanically uh game open world games um like that rewards exploration uh that i've ever played uh, a lot of open world games you, know, you just go and you'll find a bunch of collectibles or like resources and stuff and this game has that too but i feel like whenever you find a cool little cave or this you know, like this weird little group of dudes walking around like uh like rolling up on them and then seeing what they're all about and then fighting them or whatever, or running for your life uh, is it's just, it's very enjoyable um, in not really knowing or feeling confident all the time when you go into those areas, like you would in uh, like a, a more, I don't know, it, mass, I guess I can't say mass market. This game is incredibly popular. It did exceptionally well in sales. So a lot of people have played it, but mm-hmm. it's, is definitely not in the same vein as a lot of, uh, you know, uh, open world games have been popular over the past like ten years. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it, it's very rewarding. I think um, uh, the exploration is is great and that's what I, I like the most. Um, and then you know, boss boss battles are what they are. I still kind of don't like. Like with all the other from software games, I always dislike the the boss battles the most, and I still mm-hmm. don't like the boss battles the most. But they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Too stressful. They can be. They can be yeah. very stressful. So that music comes on, and it's very like <laughs> epic, and there's oh, a lot yeah. of uh, choir chanting, and <laughs> I feel like intense. I lose. Oh, 
I feel like I've gained some distaste for that kind of thing the older I get. You know, just like, come on, let's just have a nice time. <laughs> I don't right. want to do something hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the spectacle and I love the challenge. But, you know, Andres, you were talking about, you know, the white knuckle rage inducing, you can feel your blood pressure rising moments. Mm-hmm. I've had a few of those. Uh, Margaret, the ill omened, right at the start of yeah. Elden Ring, like, Oh, I felt my blood pressure going up like the 16th time I died to him. <laughs> like, so I, I can totally appreciate that on some of the bosses, Andrew. Yeah, Isn't that yeah. fun? That's fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing is like, just like with all the other games, you can always just bring someone into your world to help you out. So, uh, And they've, they've yeah. also built things in this game where you can summon your own aid and that helps out a lot. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think they've done a lot to to ease that that horrible frustration and the fact that it's open world where you can if you bounce off of that boss you can just go do something else mm-hmm. unlike those other games the other dark souls games where you know it's like well would you like to progress in the game you're gonna have to beat this boss yeah uh, and it does have that too but you can there's so much so many other things to do that it, it doesn't really feel the same uh, like you're just trapped and want to just break your controller in half <laughs> and never play uh-huh. it again uh <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that's been fun. And also the the uh, other thing that's been hap- happening is the last couple of weeks, my uh, my sons have started playing D&D with their friends. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah, Ooh, that's it's awesome. very It's very cool. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, they uh, they got together and played on a Sunday and they've started rotating between friends' houses. Uh, and this Sunday, and so they were, they've been playing D&D. Well, so they tried to play D&D. The DM, they were, they got kind of like freaked out and was like, oh, this is too stressful. I can't do it. Because I was trying to give them advice about, you know, what to do in your first session. It's like, you should build the characters together. You should, you know, get comfortable with the rules. And, you know, they I, they didn't listen to me, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like, dad. <laughs> yeah. So they're trying to just like wing it. And they're like, all right, you want to try to just wing D&D? That's cool. Um, and uh, so the first DM kind of tried for a little bit gave up then my uh oldest son he took over <laughs> like he doesn't know how to play the game and then he said oh it was too stressful he couldn't do it and then what they ended up doing was just uh kind of doing this cooperative storytelling thing where they were uh they said oh we just rolled dice we'd pick a number we'd roll a, we'd roll the 20 side die and if it was higher or above then then it happened i was like that's D. Like, <laughs> yeah you're playing you're that's playing. the game yeah you're, you're playing it they're like oh but we weren't really playing it's like no that is the literally all the game is you have a number you roll a die if you hit it something happens if not something else happens uh so that's really cool so they uh they've done that for a couple a couple weekends but they're now ready to actually try to play uh so this weekend um i'm going to be dusting off the old dungeon master robes <laughs> and uh <laughs> and dming for my for my kids and their friends That's so cool uh, oh whoa yeah yeah there's a group of five or six which is two you know one to two bigger than i usually is my usual like D, my dm limit usually is like four players five if i like everybody uh (laughs) but four is a good four is a good number uh to keep everything kind of reined together keep everyone interested and engaged and Mm -hmm. uh and having fun um but yeah so i'm uh i i I might go in you know obviously i have a ton of D &D books and things but i was thinking about maybe picking up the uh, starter set 
um, to play that uh, that that mission in there or that that story. But I don't know anything about it. Have you guys played the starter set for D anD D? Is it yeah. is it good? I, I played a little bit of it um, with a couple of brother in laws. Uh, hey, it was fine. I mean, that was the only starter set i've ever played so i don't really have a way to compare it to any of the previous ones but did it feel like a good introduction to the game yeah i think so yeah okay yeah it was fun um I, i'm not a very good critic of that but i i can say that i enjoyed it so oh that's you know that's all you can ask for really <laughs> so uh so yeah so i'll let everyone know next time how that goes i'm i'm pretty excited to do it uh yeah, I was going to say it must be a moment that you've been really waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've DM'd for for them before for oh, my okay. fan for my family. Uh we did like in the uh, spring of 2020, uh I started running them through uh Tomb of Annihilation, mm. uh which was pretty cool at <laughs> Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really throwing them in the deep end there. <laughs> well, Everyone likes uh, outdoor exploration, uh, so I thought that would be a really good fit. And you know, obviously, I can engineer it however I want. So it was fun. Oh wait, am I am I confusing? Is that I'm confusing it with the Tomb of Horrors? You're probably <laughs> that's the horrible or the one, or right? the Temple of Elemental Evil. Is that what you're thinking of? Because <laughs> that's the oh, that's now I don't now I don't remember. Yeah, Tomb of Annihilation is a pretty is a is a pretty early uh, fifth edition uh, supplement that takes place. Oh, that's in right. The, jungle. But the one with the lich. Okay. Yes, yeah. the one with the lich on that, the cover. I, I was thinking about that old module from uh, like Second Ed that keeps getting adapted. That's just cruel. I think it's Tomb of Horrors or something like that. Or Keep on the Borderlands. Is that one? Is that one? <laughs> That's uh, another uh, one. Yeah. Isn't is Ravenloft one that keeps getting re remade? Oh yeah. Or is that a totally different setting? Is that Pathfinder? That's a setting, but I think they turned it into a also a standalone okay campaign thing for this latest edition. I could be wrong on that. I didn't buy that one. Anyway, that's all, right. all I have. That's all I'm going on. That's it. <laughs> well, I'm happy that you guys are happy about whatever you were just talking about. <laughs> and that brings us <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of our show. It's been great, you guys. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks for all the questions you sent us. Send us, uh, reach out to us at uh, earthborngames at whatever.com. Just kidding. Uh, Info at earthborngames.com. I, I, I got it. Info at earthborngames.com. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks again, guys. Thanks again. Thank, thank you. you. Just thank you. We're so grateful to you. Okay, see you next time. <laughs> see, ya. see you. Bye.